Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to be speaking on a subject this morning that is not very popular. And yet, I would not be a faithful man of God if I didn't preach to you on this subject, the wrath of God. Now, you might wonder, uh, with all the patriotic zeal that we have uh, yesterday and today, why I would even try to speak on such a subject. But I believe that, that God Almighty is not pleased with America. I don't believe that He is, um, is happy with what's going on. Now, does God love people of America? Of course He does. But I want you to look in Romans chapter 1, and I want you to see if, if there's any familiarity there. When we, th we look at these things that bring about the wrath of God, and we're just going to take it verse by verse. We're going to pick up in verse 18. Romans 1.18. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now when we talk about the wrath of God, I'm afraid often we confuse it with the wrath of man. James says, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The wrath of God is not capricious. Human beings get angry for selfish reasons. We get angry because we get mistreated or we get offended or things don't work out like we thought that they ought to. And so we often display, display our wrath uh, in, in terms of selfishness. God, God has to express His wrath because of His holiness. Now in verse 17, it talks about the righteousness of God. This is the very reason that the wrath of God is a reality is because God is perfectly righteous and he is perfectly holy and his wrath is not because he's again that he's capricious or that he is uh, in a bad mood or that he's feeling selfish but his wrath is revealed and notice it's presently being revealed now there's a future wrath to come John the Baptist uh, told the those who were coming to be baptized he said oh brood of vipers who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come there's an eschatological wrath uh, that, that Paul writes about, that, uh, that, that God has not appointed us to, to wrath. There's a wrath that's coming in the great tribulation. There's a future wrath that's coming at the white throne judgment when those who were uh, appeared there will be sentenced and thrown into the lake of fire. But here it talks about the wrath of God as a present reality. Now what we're going to see about the wrath of God is, is that it's not always active. Now there are, have been times in history where God has demonstrated the wrath. We think about the days of Noah when God had, t had all he could take and the whole world except for eight people was wiped out with a flood. We think about Sodom and Gomorrah where God broke into history and they were destroyed with fire because of their immorality. There are a number of times when God's wrath is demonstrated often uh, in, in natural disasters which some insurance companies deem as acts of God. But, but we want to look at the wrath of God in, in terms that maybe we don't often think about it. And I want to talk to you primarily this morning about the wrath of God in abandonment. The wrath of God in abandonment. What happens when God gives us what we want? You know, for years now, for many years, this nation has made a concerted effort to get rid of God out of every facet of society. We don't want Him in schools. We don't want the Ten Commandments in the courtroom. We don't want any reminders of God. Uh, and, and God is giving us what we've asked for. He's withdrawing His presence from us. 
And as we look in this, this, this book of Romans 1, and I'm, I'm amazed, I think some people don't believe Romans 1 is in the Bible. It must be missing from some translations of the Bible because I don't ever hear much preaching on it anymore. And it's not a pleasant topic, but in order for us to appreciate the righteousness of God, we must also be, be warned and be fearful of the wrath of God. It says the wrath of God is being revealed. And notice it's against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now the King James says they hold the truth in unrighteousness, but literally the word means to suppress the truth. It means that they know the truth, but they're trying to keep it down. They try to suppress the truth. And we live in a society that wants to suppress truth. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. But we live in a world that doesn't want truth. We live in a world that wants everything to be relative. We don't like absolutes. We don't like things to be clearly delineated for us. But with God, there is clearly a right. There is a wrong. And there, if there's a heaven to gain, clear, clearly there's a hell to shun. And God's wrath is being revealed against those who suppress the truth. Now verse 19, he says, Because that which is known of God, or what may be known of God, we certainly don't know everything about him. We never will uh, until, he, until we have a resurrected and a glorified body. And even then, I'm not sure we'll know everything there is to know. But what can be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. God has revealed himself to every person. John's gospel says that Jesus Christ is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. Every human being has an opportunity to respond to the light that God has given them. Now, people, people will often ask, well, what about people who've never heard the gospel? What about people who are in unreached uh, people groups? What, what does the Bible say about them? Well, Romans 1 is your answer is that God reveals himself in creation to every human being on the earth. I was looking at some scientific data this morning, and I don't want to bore you with statistics. And Lord, we do thank you for that breeze that's blowing right now. Uh, I don't want to bore you with too many statistics, but do you realize that right now, as you are sitting in your vehicle or in your chair or on your couch, whatever the case may be, that right now the planet Earth is just hanging uh, on its axis and it's spinning a thousand miles per hour do you realize that right now you're spinning a thousand miles an hour now if the earth was spinning any faster than that it would be chaos do you realize that right now the earth is traveling around the sun at a speed of around 67,000 miles per hour are you getting a little seasick yet thinking about it and the, and the galaxy the Milky Way galaxy is moving about a million miles an hour. The, this universe is being held in place by an intelligent being. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Look at the miracle of childbirth. Look at the animal kingdom. Look at the, the food chain. Look at, look at your human body, the anatomy of the human body. All of these involuntary processes that are going on in your body right now. Your, your heart is a magnificent piece of equipment. It's pumping blood gallons of, of thousands of gallons of blood and it's and, it, and it's just doing this uh, because your brain is telling it to involuntarily the human body is an amazing miracle of God the miracle of childbirth God has revealed himself through creation it says in verse 20 the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are what clearly seen in other words God has not tried to hide behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz He's, he's demonstrated himself in creation. You can look around you, folks. 
look, you can look around and see that there's a God. Uh, the, the, the evolutionist would, would have you believe that, that over the process of millions of years that, that uh, amoebas became uh, monkeys and monkeys became people. And all of that is just pure absurdity. And then there are others who would, who would posit the Big Bang Theory. Let me tell you where the Big Bang Theory is found. It's found in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, and it was. That's, that's your Big Bang. The universe came from nothing. And only God, Romans 4, says that God quickens the dead. And he calls those things that be not as though they were. When God speaks, it comes into existence. You can marvel at the glory of God. I can look at a sunrise and know there's a God in heaven. I can look at a mountain and see that there's a God in heaven. I can look at the tides and the oceans and know that there's a God in heaven. He has clearly revealed it, even his eternal power and Godhead. So that, he says at the end of verse 20, they are without excuse. Not one person will be able to stand at the white throne judgment and say, well, God, I didn't know any better. God, I, you didn't show, show yourself to me. God, you didn't reveal your, your existence to me. God is screaming his existence to us. That's what Psalm 19 is all about. The heavens declare the glory of God. All of creation is shouting to you that there's a God in heaven. Amen. When you hear the birds singing outside your window, they're telling you there's a God in heaven. When you, when you see all of the, the, the beauty of nature, the flowers, the blooming of the, the trees, the changing of the seasons, the rain from heaven, God gives rain in due season. The water cycle, the water table, the, the, uh, all of the, the miracles of creation. When you look around, God is, is screaming at you saying, I'm real. Will you acknowledge me? There is a God in heaven so that they are without excuse. Now verse 21 says, because when they knew God, notice they know him. It's not a lack of knowledge. You know, the problem with the atheist is not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. He doesn't want to admit that there's a God in heaven because that God might make some moral demands, some ethical demands upon him. Any, any reasonable person, listen to me, you out there in Facebook world, any reasonable person can put together the evidence and realize that all of this didn't just come into being, that it didn't just happen as a means of explosion. Uh, I could go into the mathematical probability of... of, of of all of this, but I'm not going to because I'm not smart enough and I don't have all the data in front of me. But it's reasonable to believe that this earth had an intelligent design, that there was a creator. The Bible says that the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I find that, that most people in the world are not truly atheists. Do you know that they represent a very small segment of humanity? I was noticing that the largest population of atheists is in China, by the way, according to the statistical data. And you can, you can make your own observations about any of that. I'm not trying to make any kind of political statement. But most of the world believes in a being. Most of the world believes in a God of some sort. And those who don't believe in God, they are without excuse. They didn't glorify Him. And it says in verse 21, neither were they thankful. I, I've said this before, but I believe that unthankfulness is the breeding ground for all kinds of sin. Amen. It really is. Now, I can remember as a little boy... Now, my mom and dad didn't always serve the Lord. Uh, they were, there was a time when, when uh, I lived at home and none of us were serving God. But one thing I'll never forget, every time we sat down at a meal, every time my daddy would bow his head and he would say, Father, thank you for this food. Everything that we have is a gift from God. 
Do you realize that every, every morsel of food that you put in your mouth, the clean water that you and I take for granted, you know, a lot of people in, the, in different places in the world, they have to walk miles and miles and miles just to get a, a pitcher of water so that they can not only drink out of it, but bathe in it and cook with it and all that other kind of stuff. And we just simply turn a faucet on. But understand that the water that we drink and the food that we eat, all of it is a gift from God. And we ought to give thanks for everything. Neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. You see, when you deny the existence of God, you deny his work in the world, what happens is that you exchange light for darkness and you go into what the Bible calls futility. You become vain and your foolish heart is darkened. John says that men loved darkness rather than the light. Jesus said that people will not come to the light because they love darkness rather than light. And what happens when you reject the light, you go into a greater realm of darkness and it becomes harder and harder and more difficult for you to see the light, even when the evidence is right there in front of your face. So that's the first result is futility. Professing themselves to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. You'll often see people on the television and some of them highly educated by worldly standards and they will reason away the existence of God. And although by human standards, they, they might seem to be really intelligent, really bright academic scholars, according to God, they're fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. How can you look around and say there is no God? Now, here's what happens when you don't believe in God. You have to make an exchange. It says in verse 23, they exchanged. They changed the glory of uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. So we go from futility to idolatry. That is the logical progression. Now, I've told you that most people in the world are religious of some sort. Uh, and, and it's amazing to do some research on all the world religions. There's a lot that we know about. There's a lot that you've probably never even heard of. People believe all kinds of stuff. But man, look at all the religions of the world, and you'll see that, that, that man, by and large, is a really religious person. Mankind is very religious. You know why that is? It's because you and I were created to worship. We were created to worship our Creator. You were made in the image of God to worship God. You were created for His glory. But when you refuse to worship God, there still is that propensity within you to worship something. So what? if you don't worship God, what you'll end up doing is worshiping self, worshiping man. Now, we look back at primitive civilizations and we think, well, how could somebody bow down to a rock or a piece of metal or a piece of wood and worship that? But we, we have our own idols. We've invented our own idols. We have idols. We, have, we idolize athletes. We idolize our smartphones. How many times, how many hours a day do we stand with our phones in our hands with our, or in front of our computers or our television set? You say, well, my television is not an idol. Really? Well, why is all, that, why is all the furniture in, in the room arranged around the television? Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> all the furniture in your, in your uh, living room is arranged around the television. Uh, and we've got all kinds of modern day idols. We worship pleasure. We worship sex, drugs, alcohol. We worship... Uh, money, greed. We will worship something if we don't worship God. And we will exchange the incorruptible for the corruptible. And notice the progression. It goes from worshiping man to worshiping birds. You know, I'm Native American. 
uh, I'm, I'm, I'm mixed. I'm Native American and Caucasian. But you know, a lot of my people, they, they worship eagles and rocks and all kinds of crazy stuff. When you don't worship God, you'll worship something. You'll end up worshiping. And how about God's people? When God was giving the law, when, he was on, when Moses was on the mountain with God, and God gave him the, ta the, 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 uh, the tablet of the law, the testimony, Remember what the first commandment was? There's no accident that this was the first commandment. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And while Moses was receiving that commandment from God, from the finger of God, what was happening? They were down on the ground worshiping a bull, a golden calf. So don't tell me that God's people can't be given idolatry. We can. And they worship four-footed beasts and creeping things. You see the progression? It goes from man to the, to the animals to, to, to even ants and, and crickets and, and snakes and that kind of thing. We're not evolving, folks. We're devolving. Man, was, man is not created low and going high. We were created high. Adam was made in the image of God. You, you trace Luke's genealogy back, and it says that Adam was God's son. God, Adam was created in the image of God. He was a perfect creature, cre creature until he fell. He was perfect. Man is not evolving. Man is devolving. We were created in the image of God, and, and every subsequent generation, we get more uh, and more wicked, it seems. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I ask God to help me deliver this message in the spirit of humility this morning because I'm not, I'm not here to rail against anybody. We're going to look at a number of different sins here. And you might find yourself in Romans 1. When I first read Romans 1 this week as I was preparing to study this message, I felt a righteous indignation within me. Because I thought, you know what, God? I see all this stuff going on in America, and it grieves my heart, and it makes me angry. But the longer I prayed and the more that I wept over this, I realized I saw myself in Romans chapter 1. I see some of my own idolatry. I see some of my own immorality here and I ask God to have mercy on us that was a great prayer that brother Lynn prayed earlier we need to ask God to have mercy on us we need forgiveness of our sins we exchange the, the image of God the glory of God that word glory in the Hebrew is kabod it's, it's, it means weight or heaviness in the ancient world things a, a, a material's worth was determined by its heaviness or its weight that's why there's all this admonishment in the Proverbs about having a false weight uh, diverse weights or an abomination to God. Now here's what happens in verse 24. It says, Wherefore God also, there's a phrase in the, in the King James in the English, gave them up. And the Greek, where, Greek is paradidomi. And it means to be handed over. God handed them over. Now this is not simply passive. I've studied it out. And this word is used in a number of different ways, but it is often used as a way of being delivered up, just like Jesus was delivered up to the Sanhedrin. Jesus was delivered up to Pilate. Uh, it's an active delivering up. And, and literally, God is giving people what they want. This is the wrath of abandonment. And this is the scariest of all. The scariest of all is when God gives us what we want as fallen creatures. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, you might say, well, why did God do that? Well, notice in verse 24, it says, through the lust of their own hearts. It was what they wanted. God gave them what they wanted. And, and that is a scary thing. It's a frightening thing, the wrath of abandonment. When God gives a nation up to its own lust. So we've got futility, which leads to idolatry. And idolatry inevitably leads to immorality. And that's where we find ourselves now. And it's a scary thing.
They dishonored their own bodies between themselves. We live in a culture of sexual immorality. It is all around us. You can't turn the television on without seeing skin everywhere. Even the commercials, not just the TV program, programs, the, the television commercials. They've, they've figured out that sex sells. And everything you see is geared toward the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And what happens when God gives people over, a, cult, a nation over, they dishonor themselves. You know why? Because if we don't honor God, it brings dishonor into every other fabric of society. Verse 25, notice there's another exchange. In verse 23, they changed the glory of God into an idol. In verse 25, they changed the truth of God into a lie. And they worship and serve the creature more than the creator. And Paul, it's almost as if Paul has to come up for air here. And he gives a little praise. He said, God is blessed forever. Amen. So I'm going to take a little pause in this before I get into this really heavy stuff and just say, praise God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I acknowledge you as the creator of the universe. Paul comes up for air and he worships the creature. Excuse the creator rather than the creature. Verse 26. Notice the clause here. For this cause. What cause? Because men refused to acknowledge God. They served and the creature more than the creator. They professed themselves to be wise and they became fools. They worshiped everything other than God. And because of this, God gave them over. Notice again. He gave them up in verse 24. But in verse 26 again, there's this Greek word paradidomy. He gave them up. He handed them over. Notice the word in the King James, vile affections. Vile affections. You want to know how God feels about it? That's, that's pretty plain, isn't it? God thinks this is vile. Now notice it says, For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. It's interesting to me that, that he starts with women here. He says, even women. It is the degradation of society when you see the women. The women are typically, throughout society, females are the last to succumb to the ills of sexual immorality. And that's because God has created a woman with a nurturing instinct. Women are, are and women, you know, if your husband is in the car with you, you'll say amen to this. Men are, by nature, we are typically less sensitive than women are. Women are typically more sensitive to things. And I believe that's why God allowed women to be mothers and not men. You know, a lot of guys get really prideful. They say, well, I'm the, I'm the head of this household. I'm the man. Of the, God made man the head of the woman. Let me tell you something, man. The only way you can get into this world is by a woman's help. <laughs> Every man that's in this world, you got here because a woman helped you get here. She carries you around for nine months or whatever the time frame may have been. But you're here because a woman carried you here. But when a society becomes immoral, even the women begin to cast off restraint. You notice even in the animal kingdom, some of the most ferocious animals, bears and lions and what, even the mothers, they have this nurturing instinct for their, for their young, don't they? They love them and they take care of them. But see, when we cast off all restraint, it says even the women, they, they exchange the truth of God for a lie and they abandon the natural use of the woman. They become lesbians. Lesbianism is, is evidence of a rejection of God. Verse 27, and likewise also the men. Now notice at the end of verse 26, it's against nature. It, it's not the natural order of things. God created a man and a woman. He created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. This was his design. 
and this and this is God's natural order to to uh, to try to invert that is unnatural and likewise the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their notice that phrase burned in their lust burned in their lust one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly some translations will say shameful and receiving of their error the recompense of their error which was meat you remember the story about Sodom and Gomorrah when, when the angel came to rescue Lot? And it says that the men of the city were trying to break the door down to have sexual relations with this angel. And if you've ever read the account, you know that God struck them with blindness. And even in their blindness, they were still trying to tear the doors down. That, that strikes me as really, uh, really vivid that they've been struck with blindness, but their lust is so strong, they're still trying to push the door down to get to the angel. What I've learned about this, this sin of homosexuality is it's different than, than others and that it's militant in its acceptance to be uh, legitimized. But you don't see murderers parading in the streets uh, asking for murder to be legitimized. You don't see liars parading in the streets asking for, for, for the virtue of lying to be championed. But for some reason, this particular sin demands it's vigilant and it's violent. And this is the world in which we live. Now, I know up until this point, many of you are saying, Amen, preacher. Preach it, preach it, preach it. But don't get too confident. Because as we're going to see, a depraved, a depraved mind is not limited to a homosexual activity. It says in verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Notice, notice they didn't want God in their mind. They wanted God out of their thoughts. They wanted him out of society. And what did God do? God gave them over. Here again is this Greek word, paradidomi. God handed them over to a reprobate mind, a debased mind, to do those things which are not convenient. And let's look. We're coming to a close here. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers. Let's talk about this for just a moment. First of all, they're filled with all unrighteousness. This is an all-encompassing statement. When we refuse the righteousness of God, the only inevitable conclusion is that we will live an unrighteous and an ungodly life. Notice the word fornication here. Now, some of you were, uh, were amening when I was preaching about the vile uh, nature of, of homosexuality. But how many of you are guilty of fornication? The Bible says that porn, uh, the Greek word is pornea. That's where we get our word pornography from. Some of you are repulsed by the idea of a man being with another man, but you wouldn't think twice about getting on your computer or your phone and looking at all kinds of pornographic images of men, women, little children. I've, I've been told that, uh, that child pornography it is, is so pervasive it would just turn your stomach if you knew how pervasive it is in our society. Fornication. You know, it used to be that a man and a woman waited until they got married to have sexual relations. But now it has become passe for people to wait until marriage. But in God's mind, it is still the right way that a man and a woman are not to have sex. Anything outside the bounds of holy matrimony. The Bible says in Hebrews that marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Adultery and fornication are evidences of a culture and an individual with a reprobate mind. 
Y'all are not blowing a horn today. That's okay. I'm going to preach it anyway because it's the truth. To do those things which are not convenient. Wickedness. Covetousness. We live in a society that, that wants more and never satisfied. We want what everybody else has got. Covetousness. Maliciousness. We're envious. Murder. You turn on the news and all you find out is about people that are killing each other. Over what? Money, stuff, evil passion. You may not realize this, but, but some of our young people, they play games that are just absolutely filled with graphic violence. And we wonder why they have no regard for human life. It's because they've sat and played video games and killed people in cyberspace for hours and hours and, and seen the most awful depictions of violence. And so they don't value a human life. And so they'll walk into a school and shoot 20, 30, 50 people or a crowd of people. How about all the abortion? You know, we talk a lot about murder. And we talk about the leading cause of death is heart disease and cancer. No, the leading cause of death is abortion. Millions of babies abort, aborted every year. And our society makes it possible and legal for them to do so. So you tell me, has God handed America over? It sure sounds like it to me. Is it too late? I don't believe so. But murder, debate, malignity... Now, notice at the end of verse 29, there's a word there that might seem out of place, the whisperer. <laughs> the whisperer. Notice the whisperer and the murderer are in the same category. What is the whisperer? He's the one who, 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 uh, who bathes himself in gossip. The one who uses his tongue to slander others. You say, well, it's not gossip if it's true. Yes, it is. If you're, if you're repeating something to assassinate the character of another person, it's, it's slander, it's gossip, it's, it's evil. Unless you're talking to God. You know, I found that, that so often we're, we're so willing to talk to each other about stuff that we don't talk to God about. We really are. The next time you're tempted to call somebody or text somebody and say, have you heard about what so-and-so did? Ask yourself this question. Have I taken a moment to pray for that person? Have I taken it before the throne of God? Have I asked God to, to deal with this person? You know, it's the glory of God. You know, a, a friend loves at all times. You know, a friend covers a matter. That don't mean we cover up for sin. But the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Look back to the story of Noah. You know, there's a story about Noah that they didn't teach you about in vacation Bible school. Noah got drunk on the wine and, and he got naked. And, and, and what happened? He was exposed. And the, the brother, the son that exposed him was cursed. God doesn't want us exposing all the, the sins of our brothers. If we know our brother's sin, we go to them in private and talk to them. And we talk to the Heavenly Father. Verse 30. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters. Notice all these things have to do with the tongue. All these sins of the tongue. Um, the tongue, James says, the tongue is a deadly evil. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Every bird, every beast of the field has been tamed, but the tongue can no man tame. It is a deadly beast. Now notice this, they're inventors of evil things. This strikes me as interesting because as I read uh, things from time to time, I think, you know, it's amazing to me. I never even thought of doing this evil thing. It's like people come up with new ways to be wicked. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody know? It's like, good gracious. Uh, I, I would never even think to do this thing. But it's like a depraved society thinks up new ways to do evil things. 
I'm reminded of when God spoke to Jeremiah the prophet to the to children of Israel. They were offering up their sons and daughters up to uh, false gods. They were that was the uh, the abortion of the ancient world. They were put their their children in the fire in order to gain favor from a deity. And you know what God said? God said that never even entered never even entered into my mind. I never commanded you to do such a thing. How could you do that? It never even entered into my mind. God said, and disobedient to parents. You know. A few weeks ago, I preached on 2 Timothy 3, and one of the signs of the last days is that children are disobedient to parents. We live in a society that is ruled by children. We are a society of, don't get mad at me, spoiled brats. Turn, yeah. Turn on the news, and what you see, you see a lot of grown people throwing tantrums. Because somewhere down the way, their mom or their dad never disciplined them the way that they should. They were never told, no, you can't always have your way. And now they're insisting that if it's not my way, it's the highway. And I'm going to pout. And I'm going to be offended. And I'm going to bully my way into getting what I want. You know where it started? It started in the home. It didn't start in the street. It started in the home where the mom and dad refused to tell little Johnny no. Because not everything they want is good for them. Not everything they want to do is for their benefit. Disobedient to parents. We've sown the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection. Does that sound familiar? That's back in uh, 2 Timothy 3 2. The Greek word is astrogos. The Greek word for, uh, for family love is storge. And this is astrogos, it's a lack of family love. You know, it's natural for a mother to love her daughter. It's not natural for a mother to abort her baby. Have you ever read in the Old Testament where some of these women were so desperate, they would pray to God and say, God, give me a child lest I die. Hannah was in bitterness of soul, saying, God, give me a man child. And now we simply abort our babies or, or give birth to them and throw them in a garbage can. That's without natural affection. It's natural for a son to love his daddy. It's not natural for a boy or a girl to kill their mom and dad. It's just not natural implacable you know what it means to be implacable it means whatever you give them it's never enough you can't satisfy them we live in a culture that demands their way right away and i'm gonna tell you what you can give up everything and you give it up and it still won't be enough the devil is never satisfied with a little bit you give him an inch he takes a mile you give him a toe he, gives, he wants a foothold you give him a foothold he wants to build a stronghold it's never enough you cannot negotiate with the devil you can't negotiate with the flesh, it's implacable, unmerciful. We live in a society without mercy, it, and it's shameful. It's shameful. Now we get to verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Notice it says they know. We know. We know these things are harmful for us. We know these things will eventually end in our demise. And we not only do them, but here's the last stage. Here's the last stage of being handed over to a reprobate mind. When a, when a nation becomes reprobate, not only do we do those things, but now we approve of those who do them. Now we celebrate, we tolerate, and we celebrate those that do such things. When you see a nation celebrate wickedness, you know that it has been handed over to a reprobate mind. 
Now you say, Henry, you've painted a rather bleak picture for the nation of America. Right now, it is rather bleak, but it's not hopeless. I want you to turn with me really quick to 1 Corinthians 6, and this is where we'll close. 1 Corinthians 6. Now Paul is going to list a list of sins here. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. If you are actively practicing those things, you're demonstrating that you're outside the kingdom. If you're active, and it's in the present tense, meaning it's an ongoing thing. If you're actively doing these things, it shows that you're outside the kingdom. But it's not hopeless. Even though you're outside the kingdom, you're not beyond reach. Notice what he says in verse 11. Paul says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. Now, some people will say, well, uh, there, there's no hope for me. I was born this way. I was born to sin. No, nobody's born a drunk. Nobody's born a homosexual. Nobody's born a, a, a thief. Nobody's born a liar. We choose these things. Now, things can happen to us along the way that might exacerbate those things that are already within our hearts. But God didn't make us this way, and there's hope for us. You know, there's hope for the homosexual. Paul says, such were some of you. You can come out of that. God will forgive you. You know, the only un un unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. That is the only thing for which God will not forgive in this life or in the world to come. So it doesn't matter how, uh, how depraved you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how dark your past is. People will tell me sometimes, Henry, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. The, the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cleanse any sin. It'll take away the sin of murder. Yeah. You know, uh, Paul, our beloved Paul, the apostle, he was a murderer. And God had mercy on him. So don't look at anybody and say they're beyond God's help or beyond God's reach. As long as there's a breath of life in them, there's hope. Don't you ever give up on anybody. Because God doesn't give up on us. Even though we're in a dire place, I believe, in this country, I, I still believe in the promise of Scripture that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and they'll turn from their wicked ways, and they'll seek my face, that he will hear from heaven, he'll forgive our sin, and he can heal our land. I believe there's still hope for America. I don't believe we're too far gone. But I believe that the writing is on the wall, and I believe we better take heed. You say, what is God doing in this world? You know, God told Habakkuk, he said, I'm going to do something that you wouldn't even believe if I were to tell you. Do you know God is doing something right now in this world? Something that we would never... How many of you a year ago could have ever foreseen that we'd be out here in the church, having church in the parking lot? That I'd be preaching in a bell tower? Uh, that we'd be wearing masks in public? Feels weird wearing a mask, uh, you know, going in places. Uh, but who would have ever thought it? God's doing the work that we would never have envisioned. But what are we going to do? Is God is speaking to us from heaven, but are we listening? Or are we just going to be like those who just march spiraling down this vicious cycle, getting more and more depraved, more and more wicked, refusing the light? Beloved, there's still hope for you. The good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news. 
Paul talks about the good news in Romans a lot. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. You say, well, Henry, I'm in that list. I find myself in that list of sins there in Romans 1. Guess what? We all do. <laughs> we like to point fingers at certain sins, don't we? We say, oh, look at them. That's what they did. They did. No, all sin is unrighteousness. All sin is, unright all sin is offensive to God. You ever read Psalm 711? It's easy to remember. Psalm 711 says, God judges the righteous. He's angry with the wicked every day. That's Psalm 711. God is angry with the wicked every day. God's wrath is being revealed from heaven. And the worst thing you could get as a society is for God to give you what you want. We don't... I'm reminded of that old, that old song. You don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. You know, I pray that God doesn't give us what we want, but we get what we need. We need the grace of God. So if you've never called on the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... As many as received to them, him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. You call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, whosoever, that means anybody, that means regardless of your past, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus Christ came to this world. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again the third day. And if you believe in your heart and you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you too will be saved. If you're a believer... And you find yourself in Romans 1. You found yourself exchanging the truth of God for a lie. You know, every time we sin, you know what we do? We believe a lie. That You can go back to the Garden of Eden. Every time we sin, it's because we believed a lie. The devil has told us, oh, you won't die. He's told us, well, it won't hurt you. He's told us, well, just a little bit. He tells us that God's holding out on us. And he talks to Christians just like he does unbelievers. Christian, if you find yourself in Romans 1 this morning, why don't you come to God for a cleansing? He says... If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brother Ronnie.